And so this is part of the philosophy and the ideology of comprehensive sex education. They believe that children are sexual from birth and that they deserve and have the right to be sexually active and to seek sexual pleasure. And if anyone is stopping them from that, then you are judging and oppressing them. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. A show where we are sharing our journey of what the Lord has called us to in this season of life. Mark and I started a 501c3 nonprofit filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, to create movies, books, podcasts, and more for churches, organizations, groups, or individuals to use to educate, motivate, and inspire others to get involved in the issues affecting our society and take a stand for biblical values. And right now we are working on our new documentary titled The Mind Polluters that deals with the sexualization of our children through the education system. And we're on a mission to share the truth. So thank you for joining us on this journey. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and with me as always is my husband, filmmaker and author, speaker, Mark Archer. Here I am. Here you are. Back for another round. Back for another round. And another round because we're going to bring you today our sit-down interview with Monica Klein Mm -hmm. from It Takes a Family in Texas. So I'm really excited these things we just have to keep talking about these things and you know it never hurts to reinforce and continue to educate people on what is really happening i mean that's the whole part the whole point of making a film like the mind polluters yeah you have to you have to hear it over and over sometimes to really to really grasp the the depth of some of these issues and you know what is some of this stuff is just really hard to deal with. It's hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and as difficult as sometimes I'm sure it is to listen to, um, I would just ask for your prayer for us because it is difficult for us because we're in this all day. Mm-hmm. And we we talk about it often, how heavy these things feel. But can I just say, as heavy and 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 as hard as it is for us to talk about, we need people to understand that our children mm. who have nowhere to go when these things are being talked about are trying to understand and filter what's being taught to them in the school. And this is a, as hard as it is for us. Think about and imagine that's why we do what we do. It's, Save the children. Right. And I don't say that to sound like I'm complaining. This is what the Lord has called us to. Oh, He's absolutely. uniquely equipped us to do this. Um, we're not afraid. We're not afraid of dealing with these things. We're not afraid of learning what we need to learn. Um, and I think the thing that we often forget in our society is that we are in a state of warfare. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we acknowledge it or not, the enemy has acknowledged that they're at war with you and they're at war against you as parents because who they want to capture on that battlefield is your children. And it was it's really interesting. And when we get into this um, sit down interview with Monica and she said something that kind of struck us both after she said it and how when she was being trained by Planned Parenthood because she was a sex educator. Mm -hmm. And she said, you need to meet them where they are and not judge. This is what Planned Parenthood told her as part of their training for why, for why that, yeah, because she talks about 
how at first she thought, oh, good, we're going to go in and teach these kids how to protect abstain, themselves, how to right. protect themselves through abstinence. Because there was such a high rate of STDs and pregnancies. Right. And, you know, they've got girls as young as 10 years old coming in for abortions. Right. But that wasn't it at all. No. And, and what she lays out very clearly, and she is... Monica is the she is the ultimate insider because she did this mm-hmm. for so long and she was very high up in the in the echelons of this uh, CSE training. She's the nation's leading expert in the comprehensive sex ed through what's being taught. Yeah. And so you really need to pay very close attention when she's talking. She is telling you, uh, listen, uh, you cannot, and we talk about this with the pro-life movement. One of the things that that we felt and we 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 acknowledged as we dealt in that world doing inward drive is that many people approach the the life issue from a defense angle, and. You know what? To win at anything, yes, you have to have a strong defense, but you have to have a strong offense. Mm-hmm. And part of a strong offense is studying the tactics of your opponent. And this is why we bring you people like Monica, mm-hmm. because she was she was on she was the opponent. Well, and I think you know, and and through the film, the mind polluters, you have to give parents, you you have to equip the parents to put them on offense and not defense, right? And we have to be awake and alert to what's going on. Yeah, you can't, you listen, you can't win any game or any war by strictly playing defense. And what was interesting when she said, meet them where they are and not judge them. And what's the first thing, like you and I started talking about it. I said, that's the message of the church that you hear all the time. Uh You have to meet people where they are. But, but the thing is, the enemy, is saying the same thing. So yeah, church, so, so. what's make what makes you any different? Why do people want to come to church if we're not saying anything different? Yeah, and I and I and saw I'm not this. saying I'm not I'm not trying to make a blanket statement about all Christians or all churches. No, I, but there is definitely this is definitely one of the major problems in the church, the, the church in general in America, the corporate church, right, the corporate the corporate body, the church is that th- this is. Why you see churches backing down on things like homosexuality and transgenderism and and this you know social justice and not even talking about abortion, not even talking about abortion, um, because they've back in the in the eighties and early nineties, this was known as the seeker sensitive movement. They bought the lie, and it's this notion of and 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 you saw it reflected in and hear me, I'm not, I am not criticizing any one church in particular but what you saw as a manifestation of this mindset was look at how churches used to be versus how we build them now and i say go back and look at catholic churches old uh, lutheran churches um even uh, you know older um baptist churches Mm -hmm. There was a there's a distinct look and feel to a church. Mm-hmm. It can't be mistaken for anything else there other than a, a church. Re- there was a reverence. There's there. a reverence that's that's built into the architecture, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And now what you have is more and more that it's a 
community center. It's it's a it's a concert hall and it's a multi-purpose. There you it's go. It's a multi-purpose center. Right. Uh, which which churches should be? Which I, don't get I'm, me wrong. I'm not necessarily criticizing that, but that that mindset has been reflected in you know what is special about church buildings now. They don't inspire reverence. Mm-hmm. They inspire uh, you know conferences and things like that. Um, and and that it. It has all come out of, and again, I'm not saying that this is all bad, but I am pointing out that the mindset decades ago of seeker sensitive, meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable. You know what? If you are a sinner, you will feel uncomfortable. You should feel uncomfortable just say, it's coming not- into the church <laughs> because just- <laughs> it's conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's that's the point. Yeah. And, and I just want to say, not if you're a sinner, you are a sinner. You yes. and me and everybody else on this planet, if you are living, breathing, you're a sinner. To the point where there are many churches that they've stopped putting crosses. You, you can't find a cross on the outside of the church anymore, a lot of them. And, you know, there have been instances that we have seen where uh, if there's a multi-function event going on in the church, they take the cross down. Because we want, we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The cross offends some people. Thank you for noticing. Yes, the cross is offensive to a world that has rejected Christ. Absolutely, that is the point of the church. As we move in to the Easter Sunday <laughs> week. <laughs> okay, with that, so we'll get roses off of the... are red, violets are blue. Repent. <laughs> okay, so back to Monica. Well, because. You have to be passionate. People are being so led astray. And what what is our job as believers? Mm-hmm. It's like when we talked about uh, Francis Schaeffer and the Roman age. The Christians had the answer. Folks, it's no different today. The Christians have the answer for this dying world. Mm-hmm. We have to tell people. And, the, and what is the answer? Jesus Christ. That is the only answer. Mm-hmm. That is the only answer to all of the problems that we see in our world. It starts with Jesus Christ. That's right. So with that, we're going to bring you out a two-part interview, our sit-down interview with Monica Klein from It Takes a Family. And I hope you'll be encouraged and and just know as a parent, if you are a parent, a grandparent, we have to be in charge of what's being taught to our children. And I would encourage people to, if you have children and you are and you are dealing with these influences, sit down and listen carefully to this and take notes mm-hmm. because she is telling you this is who your opponent is. She's describing those who want to take your children away. Mm-hmm. So let's listen in to our conversation. I'm Monica Lial Klein, and I am the founder of It Takes a Family. It's a nonprofit organization that wants that really our goal is to encourage and equip families, parents to be the leaders of their home, to reclaim parenthood. Uh, my goal is to ensure that or, or really I just want to help parents be able to foster trust and confidence with their children so that the children are looking to the parents for advice and guidance in their lives and that parents feel equipped that they can do that. Um, And, you know, this wasn't always my story. 
Uh, the reason I even created It Takes a Family is because I was part of an ideology and a whole movement that really thought that parents were a barrier. Um, and because of that, I decided to start It Takes a Family. While I was in college, I took a social work class and we were required to volunteer at a nonprofit organization in the community. I had already worked with children who were abused. I was a house parent um, and basically lit or worked at a children's shelter working with children who'd been abused and taken from their parents. And I had done several other things as well. And so I was really wanting to volunteer for an organization that would uh, really give me experience with more, more at-risk populations. And because of the HIV epidemic at the time, um, and because I had an uncle who identified as being a homosexual, um, I, I decided I wanted to work for an organization that was specifically doing something about HIV. My uncle had contracted HIV in the 80s and quickly died. So this was important to me. And it turns out in the list of nonprofits that this social work class had, there was a gay organization that had money to conduct HIV prevention in the community. So I thought this is great for me because I not only do I get to know more about my uncle's culture because I did not grow up around him, he lived in another state, but I will also be doing something to eradicate or lessen the infection of HIV among people. So I started volunteering at this organization. It was called um, Algo Informecida. It was the Austin Latino, Latina, Lesbian and Gay Organization. Informecida in Spanish means to inform about AIDS. And uh, so I was volunteering and, you know, volunteers do a lot of grunt work, making copies, making flyers, all kinds of things. And one of the things that they had me do was make condom packets mm -hmm. and they needed hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of condom packets. And what those are, these little Ziplocs, little tiny Ziplocs about this big. And I would put two condoms in there, a sample of lubrication, instructions on how to use the condom, information about STDs and how they're transmitted. I mean, it's a tiny packet, so not a whole lot. And phone numbers of referrals, where to get tested, you know, different clinics in the community, something really tiny. Well, you can imagine that I was getting really bored making condom packets. So I asked, can you please give me more responsibility or, you know, any, anything? And they're like, well, one of our educators is downtown talking to teenagers about HIV prevention. It's an after school program. Well, why don't you go over there and see what she's doing? So I walked in and there she was just like a classroom at the head of the class with a lot of rowdy kids, teenage kids, middle school, high school, probably mostly middle school. And, uh, and she's just talking to them very frankly about sex, bodily fluids, different forms of sex, uh, different sexual activities, how to use a condom, why you use lubrication, how do you talk to people about using a condom? It just, I couldn't, I, I was, I was surprised she was doing it so candidly. I'll admit at that time in my early twenties, I thought it was pretty fantastic. I'm like, wow, she's She's really teaching these kids important information. Mm -hmm. I had never witnessed anything like that before. So I wanted to learn more and I asked him, teach me how to do this. Is it possible for me to do this as a volunteer to learn how to present to people? And so they quickly ended up training me, but then they also quickly hired me. So as soon as I graduated from college, they offered me a job as an outreach educator and my coworker 
was the woman that I actually saw presenting in that classroom. And so this particular organization and, mo and most organizations that have any kind of STD or HIV prevention program will have women who do outreach to uh, women and, and, and the general population. And then there's always a program specifically for men who have sex with men. And that's how the government talks about it. Uh, cause some men don't identify as being homosexual or bisexual. So they just talk about the behavior, men who have sex with men. And so in this office, there was a team of two women, myself and my coworker. And according to our grant, we were to reach out to women of childbearing age, which meant even young girls who had already gone through puberty or even younger um, and men who have sex with men where it was the other program. There was two men in charge of that. And so they focused on reaching out to the gay population. Now, because I was part of this organization, a gay organization, they wanted me to really learn about the gay culture. So for the next few years, I worked for them for five years. I was immersed in gay culture. I learned about gay culture. I was welcomed into private meetings, support groups, focus groups, think tanks with the gay culture, both men and women. Um, I also became friends with a lot of the transgender population, uh, which were some were drag queens, some were people who truly, I believe that they were the other gender and wanted to live that way. Um, I actually started a fo focus group for people who wanted to live as the other gender who were going through gender dysphoria. We didn't call it gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And I actually was in charge and facilitated that support group for over a year until I gave it over to a mental health clinic. Um, and so I was really immersed in this culture. In addition to that, I was doing the HIV prevention. And so my job 40 hours a week was to talk about sex with people in the community and to talk about how STDs and HIV are transmitted through bodily fluids, which bodily fluids, how are those bodily fluids transmitted? So then we start talking about sexual activities and it's, you know, it was important they felt when they trained me, it's important to know all sexual activities and to be able to talk about all sexual activities without judgment and with a straight face. So I was exposed to all kinds of sexual activities, whether that was something in my life or not. So um, if I could sum up what it was like to work in that industry, we talked about sex all the time, including lunchtime. It was just something that we became very desensitized to. Now, when I first started you know, they, they provided me with my training about STDs, a lot of it using um, ETS pamphlets or pamphlets from the CDC. Uh, they also recommended that I learn how to share this message with children. And they recommended that I speak to Planned Parenthood for that. And they were just across the street from our office. So um, I started my one-on-one -on -one training with the director of sex education of Planned Parenthood. It was, you know, she became my mentor and she was a woman from the community. And uh, so people really trusted her as well. She was older. She just looked like a really sweet grandma, to be honest. And uh, so she sat me down and made the case of why this was important to share this message with children. And so she let me know that there was girls as young as 10 coming into the clinic for abortions. Uh, they had STDs. And, and that really shocked me because in all honesty, when I was in middle school or high school, I was not sexually active. So I, I couldn't believe that girls as young as 10 were sexually active and that these things were happening to them. Now, these were pretty graphic. Um, it, it Actually, she said some of these girls came in with children's toys inside their bodies and they came to Planned Parenthood to have those removed. 
Um, to me, that sounded, I mean, it, it's just, if they're 10, it's illegal, it's abuse. Mm -hmm. And then even more so if there are objects in their bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, so I quickly asked her, I said, all right, you've convinced me this is a really pr real problem. Teach me how to teach these girls how to avoid sex, how not to have sex. Mm -hmm. And she reached over and patted me on the knee and she said, no, dear, we're not teaching them not to have sex. We're just going to teach them how to do it safer. She said, we meet them where they're at and we teach them how to do it safer. So if you are talking to these girls and they're telling you that they're sexually active and you tell them not to have sex, you're judging them. We teach them how to do it safer. So then she said, you know, in, in all, in all honesty, I, I kind of bucked to that. I was like, no, I, I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. But she assured me that this was the best way. This was public health. This was the proper approach. I would be judging them otherwise and that they were going to do it anyway and that they needed the education to protect themselves. Now, why did I believe her? Because she's receiving government funding to run this clinic and to run a department, a whole education department on health. Uh, they're receiving millions of dollars to do this. So I assumed if the government is giving them money to do this, and obviously it's legal to teach them this information, then it must be okay. And so I submitted to her authority and I learned from her. Mm -hmm. She said, one of the first things you need to do when you're teaching children is when you walk into a room, you need to assume that they're doing anything and everything when it comes to sex. And if they're not, they will. So it's your job as a sex educator to teach them about every form of sex, all of the bodily fluids and how disease is transmitted and how pregnancy happens, how to reduce their risk by using condoms, how to use lubrication to come in for treatment uh, when they get their diseases and to come in for abortion. So what's really important about that message, there's so many things to talk about in that message. She's acknowledging that condoms are not foolproof. So although they're teaching these children, and we'll come to this in a little bit about the sex part, they're teaching them about sex, teaching them how to have sex, teaching them to use condoms to protect themselves, reducing the risk, but they're acknowledging that it doesn't eliminate the risk, which means that you have to give them a message that they have to come in every three to six months to get treat, uh, to get tested in case they have disease mm -hmm. and get the treatment. So they know it's not a matter if they will get a disease, it's when they get a disease because they know that they will. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of if they become pregnant, it's when they get pregnant, they come here for an abortion. So they know that ultimately they will be returning to the clinic mm -hmm. to get testing, treatment, and abortion. And that is the cycle of comprehensive sex education is that they groom the children to become sexually active. They know that the methods are going to fail. They know they're going to become dependent on Planned Parenthood uh, clinic services for treatment and abortion. And then they encourage them to start that cycle all over again. But because when you get an abortion, they will say goodbye to you at the end of that abortion and check you out with a little baggie full of birth control, lubrication, and condoms so that you can start that cycle all over again. And how do I know that? Because I've worked there. And because unfortunately in college, I went with a friend of mine and that is exactly what happened when she was checked out. Mm -hmm. She paid, she was given a little lunch bag full of condoms and birth control. And that was it. Um, and so when she talks about how we're to view children is another thing that we need to look at. She's basically acknowledging 
that we are to view children as being sexually active. And if they're not, that they will be. And so this is part of the philosophy and the ideology of comprehensive sex education. They believe because of, they believe that children are sexual from birth and that they deserve and have the right to be sexually active and to seek sexual pleasure. And if anyone is stopping them from that, then you are judging and oppressing them. They actually believe and have in their literature that it's a, that we have, that children have sexual rights. So when we talk about human rights, we, there always has to be an oppressor. In this case, who is the oppressor of children who are trying to keep them from having sex? Who in all of the world would try to stop and, you know, and keep children safe from sexual activity? It's the parent. So by saying that children have sexual rights and which then assumes there must be an oppressor, that oppressor is the parent. That leads into what Planned Parenthood taught me after of, of just in the 10 years that I worked with them is that parents are a barrier to service. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Planned Parenthood. So although in my first five years, I was a street outreach worker in over 10 years, I eventually became a Title X training manager for the states of Texas and New Mexico, and I was working in a leadership position. I worked as a consultant and I trained what I was trained by Planned Parenthood and eventually I trained them. And all the years that I've trained Planned Parenthood on communication skills, client-centered skills, they always said parents are a barrier to service. This is why they needed their counseling skills, because they needed to be able to manipulate the minds of these young children, gain their confidence and eliminate the parent to ensure that those children continue to seek out their services. So when they say parents are a barrier to service, this is what they would say. When a parent finds out that their little girl is coming to Planned Parenthood, they immediately protect that little girl and they start basically watching her and making sure she can't go to a Planned Parenthood and they never see that little girl in the clinic again. And that's why they say parents are a barrier because parents protect their children and keep them from Planned Parenthood. And so they did everything possible to ensure that children, that they created a wedge that would separate children and their parents. So they, so Planned Parenthood is very good. And this whole world, this whole ideology of sexual freedom is very good at using their counseling skills to really get these girls to have confidence in them and not their own parents. And they do it like this. Little girl comes in, she's either thinking about having sex or she's already had sex, whatever it may be. And she'll, they'll, the, the clinicians will say, listen, you don't have to be worried or nervous for being here. We understand that maybe your mom and dad don't you know, they may not want you to be sexually active. And we understand that they might get angry and you're probably afraid to tell them. And of course, this little girl's thinking, oh, I don't want my parents to know I'm sexually active or that I'm thinking about it. And so they say, well, we can give you that information and we can help you. We can give you birth control and we don't have to tell your parents about it. We can do that for you. And so we'll support you in that. And they may not understand. You don't need to let them know. And we'll protect your health. And you have a right to this. Like we can, we can do this. It's natural the way you're feeling. It's natural that you're doing this and we will help protect you. And so they begin to groom this little girl, gain her confidence. And so she no longer talks to her parents about it. She just stays at the Planned Parenthood. 
they encourage them to use fake names or they encourage them to use phone numbers of friends uh, for follow-up visits so that the parents never find out. Thank you guys for sticking around through part one with Monica Klein from It Takes a Family. We all have the responsibility to make sure that we understand what our children are being taught when we send them off to school for seven hours a day. You know, I was just thinking about what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, and I remembered an instance many years ago, and someone that, that I was interacting with on Facebook, when I was on Facebook, before Facebook got really ugly, and he said something to me in a private message that I know he didn't mean it this way, but I, but it really sunk in to me. And he said, uh, we were talking about something and he said, I didn't realize you were a Christian. And that really hit me hard. And I thought, yikes, shame on me (laughs) that we could have known each other for this long. And you didn't realize that I was a Christian. It should be obvious to people every day that there's something different that you proclaim Christ every day. Mm -hmm. And it's something that really sunk in and has really convicted me for many years. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. So you guys live your life. It is the Lord Christ. We are everyone serving as it says in Hebrews. So thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to bringing you part two of this interview on Thursday's podcast. Have a wonderfully blessed day. 